Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Alex Baird. I'm the, the lead pastor. Thank you, Cameron and, and the band. Uh, I don't know about you, but it, it always helps me, especially on a Sunday, to begin uh, by worshiping God, by singing praises. And uh, there's many times when you may not feel certain things, but you still have to proclaim them as true. And uh, that's what singing is. There's times when you might feel tired, you might feel uh, struggling, discouraged. Uh, but as we sing praises to God, it reminds us of a reality that is true no matter how we feel. And so I appreciate the band that, that really leads us. And uh, we just sang a song that talked about uh, what living looks like, what freedom feels like, and what heaven sounds like. And that's actually the perfect segue into what this sermon series has been all about. And today we're wrapping it up. And uh, we've been working through the book of 1 Peter, uh, talking about the joy in the journey that is to follow Christ. And what that song just stated is there's a, there's a reality that exists when you decide to follow Jesus. Uh, he calls you on this adventure. Uh, it's an adventure which at times you are facing fear, you're facing joy and everything in between. But because God is our guide, uh, he continues to lead us forward. Uh, as a church, we started this series uh, really celebrating our five-year anniversary. And I just want to highlight some things that we've covered so far. Uh, in Christ, uh, we can have a new life and inheritance uh, we have a new mission. We have a new community and a calling because of that. We have new freedom as a citizen of heaven. We have a new set of values. We have a new focus to serve. And then we have a new strategy and approach to life. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today, this new strategy and approach to life. All of this is part of the joy and the adventure that comes when we decide to follow Christ and to do life his way. Uh, when you dig into the scriptures, you find that this is uh, our higher calling. We have a new purpose in life. And as a church, our, our goal, really our mission is to continually week after week on an ongoing basis, this, you know, each morning as we spend time with the Lord and as we gather in small groups, as we proclaim his name on Sunday, it's to remind us of these things. In the book of First Peter, we have a disciple of Christ, the person who is a part of the expansion of the Christian ministry throughout the world. Uh, share with us, through God's inspired word, uh, these things. And we hope this series has been a help to you. If you've missed any of it, I encourage you, uh, you can catch up. We, we podcast, we're on YouTube. Um, you can always stream with us if you're not here on a Sunday. But if you've missed any of this, I encourage you, this is really the main thing that we're doing as a church, is the things that Peter outlines in the book of First Peter. So today, we, we're going to start at the, the end bullet here, this new strategy and approach to life. And Peter, uh, as we've described so far in this series, uh, he shoots straight. Uh, he's very direct. And he kind of comes in rapid fire, presenting new idea after new idea. And it's this idea of like Christ follower, you need to get a hold of these things. These things are very important. You don't want to miss this. And as we approach the end of 1 Peter, we're going to start on chapter 5. That's the last chapter of the book. He speaks about this new strategy and approach, which is all rooted in humility. So he's talked about all these that can be ours because of our relationship with Christ, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. And he says, if you want these to actually flow into your life and this to be a reality, you have to stay humble. And that's the focus and the new strategy that we're going to really target and be directed to uh, this morning. And so I want to start with this kind of overarching point. It's this, is humility is of little value in our world, but it's highly valued in God's eyes. So I made a statement there. You've probably heard me make statements before. So as in any statement, what I want you to do is ask yourself the question, is, is that statement true 
in your experience. Is humility of little value in our world? And usually when I use the word world, uh, that could mean the culture, that could mean belief, practices, that could be uh, what we kind of take in from social media, that could be what we are taught, what we take in from the media, music, movies, all of those things. Is humility of little value? And then the other part of that statement is, uh, is humility of high value to God. So here, here's a tension. So let's start there. In your experience, from what you see, from what you experience just even in your own heart, is this statement true? Is humility of little value in our world, but of a high value to God? You have to wrestle with this, all of us, because if we realize that this is a tension point in this life, as we live and operate in this world, uh, we will realize we, we always have to be on guard. We always have to be leaning in towards humility because we're always pulled in the wrong direction towards pride. And the pride is in our hearts, and it's also inundated in everything that we see, in everything that we hear. There's this promotion that we have, like we have to promote ourselves. And so Peter's talking about the joy that we have in following Christ. But if we get off track and become a prideful person, as a church, if we become a prideful people, if our family chooses to kind of exalt ourselves over other people, you'll find that the blessing that God has for us will become short-circuited. We, we won't experience it. And so as I kind of set this, this overarching idea, I want to read the, the last big chunk of Scripture that we find in 1 Peter 5, and just see if you can pick up the, the theme of hu- humility. Now, as I read it, there's some highlights that Peter is talking about. Like, these are the values, these are the good things, but he also talks about the things that humility will prevent you from experiencing. In Scripture, you want to pay attention to the both, not just the blessing, but what does it prevent you from going down? Like, what's the wrong path that you can escape if you choose it. So let's read it together. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your, by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you were here last week, you'll find that, that Peter did something similar, which he gives you this, this section of Scripture, which is packed full of truth, and then he brings it to this, this end of this, the power and the dominion and the glory of God, amen, and, and then he still goes on. And I'm thankful he goes on, because if he ended at chapter 4, we wouldn't have all the richness of this truth that God has revealed to us. And it's this value of humility. Now, in this passage that I've read, and I'm going to kind of break this down uh, piece by piece, he's addressing three different groups. Now, the first set of, like, the first group that he's talking about is actually leaders, specifically leaders, 
and elders in the church. So if you have leadership in the church, uh, this applies to you. If you have leadership, actually, even in your work, in your home, anywhere that you find leadership, the principles here uh, still apply. But there's certain language which is really directed towards the church, the idea of, of the shepherding and the oversight. But these principles rooted in this humility that Peter describes are really important. And so let's start there, directed to leaders. So humility allows leaders to guide and care for a group of people willingly, eagerly, and genuinely. Uh, the first scripture here that you'll see that Peter talks about, and I want to highlight, is notice in verse 2, uh, the word shepherd. Uh, this actually is a description of what a pastor is supposed to be to a congregation. You're supposed to shepherd. And notice, who does the flock belong to? The flock of God. So you shepherd the sheep which belong to God. They're not your sheep. And this isn't an understanding of a pastor. You have been stewarded. You've been given really this blessing and this duty to lead and shepherd the people of God. And so Peter is saying to these leaders who would be reading this, who are scattered, who are raising up little churches in all these areas in the first century church, you've been given this group of people who God has entrusted you to take care of. And then he uses this word exercising oversight. Literally, uh, this is this idea of of not being passive, um, not being robotic, but in this personal way, you lead God's people. And the connotation here is as someone who is guarding. So picture a shepherd. What would shepherds need to guard against? If you can go back to kind of your, your history, and if you've ever seen shepherds, again, in Southern California, it's like the concrete jungle, right? Like, when do we see sheep? Hardly at all. But if you remember, if you've even heard stories in the scripture, what are some things that could come against sheep that you'd have to guard against if you were a shepherd? Just yell it out. What are some things? Wolves. Anything else? Coyotes. Weather. Them humans. Yeah, so people could steal. Creatures could destroy. And so the idea is there's all these things that could come against God's people. And part of your role as a leader is to humbly, because you've been given this group to guard, to protect, and this idea of to exercise oversight. And then notice there's a couple of characteristics. First, uh, willingly, and then eagerly, and then this, this word, um, sorry, not, not for shameful gain, but, but eagerly not domineering. And so this, there's this picture of this, this willingness that you have, like you're not forced into doing it. And so this really speaks to, if you're a leader, one of the things you have to really watch out for that's rooted in pride is, is complaining. And if you've ever led a hard group of people, whether it's in home life or whether it's just in your own experience, you can just get to the point where you're like, man, these people are so hard. They can be discouraging. They just don't listen. And you kind of feel like you're just forcing, I'm just going to do my job, and you're just checking out as quick as you can. But that's actually not supposed to be the leaders who are connected to Christ. You've been given this role, something that's entrusted and and gifted to you. And so he speaks then of of things that it helps prevent. I want to highlight this. Um, Humility helps prevent a few things. First, leading out of obligation, shameful gain, and dominating those that you lead. And if you throw that scripture up again, you'll see that highlighted. First, um, not under compulsion. Again, you're, you're not forced to do it, and not for shameful gain. I don't know if you've ever had a leader that were self-serving. Have you ever had that experience? Where they just seemed, because of the power that they had, they could always put the power in their own favor so it's better for them. 
they have the advantage. Well, if a leader has the power, they can actually always gain an advantage because they've been given that power. But in the church specifically, if you've been given that power and you use it for your advantage, life will not go well for you. God will not be in your leadership. And you want to read the Old Testament, you can read the New Testament, you can see again and again, leaders who got off track began to think it was about them and God came against them. He actually opposed the work. And then that shameful gain and then dominating. If you've ever had somebody that like a leader who's come against you and they just uh, were just hard-nosed, there was no relationship, they just told you what to do and you just felt like, wow, there's no freedom here. I just feel forced to do something that I don't want to do. This is a very hard leader to be under. You may find yourself in leadership like that. Hopefully not at this church <laughs> as I speak myself, right? But, but we have those experiences. But even as we have a bad leader, God uses that uh, to help us. And so this humility that Peter begins with is rooted for leaders. If you're a leader, if you aspire to be a leader, it will always come out of the humility that God gives you. It doesn't come over the advantage that you want to gain for yourself. And then there's a second group, and this is very important. Humility allows younger people to learn wisdom from those with more experience and maturity. Look at verse 5. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That sub, be subject is the same that we looked at at chapter 4 and chapter uh, 3 of 1 Peter. Uh, you do that to the governing authorities. You do that in, in home life. You do that even to your boss. The idea is you arrange yourself under willingly. So younger people, and we have some here this morning, I love how our young people sit in the front. You're taking notes. You're ready, right? But one of the things that you've been charged with that's different, and you could even be a little bit older but still younger than others. Some of you are like, that's, you're grateful for that. In fact, you're always younger than somebody. Amen? Okay. Uh, but the idea is you arrange yourself under willingly knowing that people who are older than you, for the most part, have experience that you could learn from. They have things that they could even teach you. And so... Humility helps prevent a couple things, and this is why this is important. First, being wise in your own eyes, and then the second, repeating mistakes others have made. If you are an older person in this church, and you could take that for however you want to take that. I'm very actually so blessed, part of Ridgeview, we have a multi-generational church. We have very young to older. And that is actually the way the church is supposed to be, because the younger people need to learn from the older people, and then the younger people have the energy and the faith to now take it towards the next generation. You need both. You can never be opposed to each group that God brings because that's how he builds out his church. But if you're like me, and you probably have this experience, when you were younger, let's speak of like your family life. When you were younger, it seemed like your parents had no clue what was going on. Correct? You remember what that was like? Like, my parents don't know anything. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like they went to school and learned a lot when you were in your early 20s. And by the time you're 30, you're like, man, my parents know everything. You notice that? Isn't that interesting? What Peter is saying is that that's not a phenomenon. That's actually the reality is the younger you are, it's always easy to think that you're wise in your own eyes. And often what that means is that my, the older people don't understand my generation. And there are always differences, but people are always people. And there's things that you can learn. And what Peter is saying is if you have the humility, if you're younger, to learn from those who are older, you will actually gain great strides in this life. You can learn greatly by just listening to older people. And the great thing about 
older, humble people, especially godly, older, humble people, is that they'll willingly share the mistakes that they've made. And they'll say, hey, I want you to learn from me so you don't make the same mistakes I've made. I don't know how many times my wife and I have told our own kids that. Take what we've given you and go further than we've gone. That's the Christian life. With the grace that God's given us, with my crooked heart, with everything that I am, learn from me and then take it further. That's the legacy of faith. And then there's a third group, and this appeals and actually applies to all of us. Humility allows God's grace to flow freely as we encounter opposition. And so Peter speaks to leaders, to elders. He speaks to young people. And then he actually speaks to everyone. And notice it's the same theme, the crucial role that humility plays. Now, I mention here um, opposition. So opposition in life, especially opposition to humility, comes in the form of pride. Each of us struggle with that in different ways. We have uh, the way that we think things should be done. We have goals that we think we have that are more important than others. We, we have all these views of, of like preferences that can become law and all these things, like where we can just have the world that, that revolves around us. That's in all of our hearts. There's a selfishness. There's an arrogance that exists. We're born with that. That's the brokenness of sin. And so a lot of times the opposition that we encounter related to humility is when we look in the mirror. It's me, and it's you. But there's also other opposition because we are all are selfish. You have opposition from others. There's people that will say things to you, come against you, put you in a, in a position where you can respond in a way either in humility or pride. So the opposition comes from ourselves. It comes from others. And then we also have a spiritual enemy, and Peter speaks of that. Satan, the devil, he comes against us. He opposes us. And one of the things that gets his attention again and again and again is pride. And so what Peter is saying is you have to be on guard, guard all of us. And notice the scripture. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, I want to highlight a few things here um, of this, this language because uh, sometimes uh, we, we can miss the, the nuance of this, but, but clothe yourselves literally means to tie on like an apron. Now, how many of you like would consider yourself a, a baker? Like you bake, you like to, or a barbecue, like you grill. Now, if you grill and you're a man, you might not use an apron, right? You, that's what a shirt is for, right? But most of the time, women are a little bit more cultured and, you know, clean, if, if I could say that. Don't get offended. Okay, you know what I'm saying. But, uh, you know, when you're baking and there's flour, like you, you, you put on this apron, it's something you put over your neck and you, you tie it around so it stays stay secure. What, what Peter is saying here is, is actually drawing language from like servants that would come and, and even what he experienced in his life, they, you know, you'd enter a household and the servants would come and they would wait on you. They'd wash your feet and they would tie this apron on. And he saw himself, Christ, the son of God, lower himself and wash the feet of the disciples. And so this imagery of clothe yourselves with humility, he's, he's just getting this image, if you could, of, of Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who swooped down and put on humility. It's like as you put on this apron to serve, that's what you do with this humility. You, you tie it on a, on a knot. You, you secure it so you can swoop down and serve. And so you, this is what we're supposed to choose to put on. It's a choice. And then notice that as you clothe yourselves, all of you, each one of us with humility, he makes a statement. He says, but he, 
if you do this, he, he gives grace to the humble. Now, I want to just highlight this, this word grace. This does not mean uh, the grace that's connected to salvation. Because it's actually, nothing is tied to salvation except faith. We can't earn salvation. But this grace is specific to blessing. So when you decide to put on humility and tie it on you so you're in a position to serve, to meet the needs of people around you, God actually will bless you. You're lining up in a position where God sees what you're doing. You're just like his son, Jesus, and he will support you in the work that he's given you. And so for all of us, that, that's a choice that we have to make. But Peter also highlights a few things that are really important that humility prevents. And this is, again, packed full. So humility helps prevent. The first thing is God coming against us. Now, this is very serious. Back to the scripture, you see it highlighted there. What does it say, those four words? God opposes the proud. Everybody say that. God opposes the proud. Okay, I just want to use a little bit of illustration. So Jude, if you could come up. You can come up on the stage, Jude. I want to use a little bit of an illustration here this morning. So if Jude and I, I, am I taller than Jude? Okay, for a little bit, right? Okay, so I'm holding on here. Come, come close. This is my son, Jude. Jude is 12 years old. Um, and uh, I, I'm taller than Jude. Now, if Jude and I were going to maybe play uh, basketball against each other, uh, who would have an advantage? Well, now you're wondering, well, Jude looks a little bit quicker. So be careful the example I'm using, right? But, but if, you know, he's trying to shoot, and let's just say, like, I'm as fast as he is, um, I should have an advantage, right? Like, I could probably block, you know, shots like reach up. Like, I'm going to have an advantage, right, most of the time, right? Correct? Church, correct? Yeah, okay. I have an advantage. Like, he may be quicker, but I got that old man wisdom. I can slow him down, right? And I could block his shots, okay? So uh, this is sometimes how we picture, uh, you know, this, this pride and humility. But I want to use, like, a, a next level example. And so, Nate Silva, if you could come up, okay? And I'm going to replace me with Nate, okay? And, Nate, if you could stand right there. And Nate is, a, is actually a volleyball player, and so, let's say that Jude was trying to spike the ball on Nate. Who would win? Right? Like, okay, reach, reach up, Jude. Reach your hand. And then, Nate, if you could stand kind of closer to Jude and reach your hands up. Okay, so, so you, 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 get the, you get the picture, right? The reason I, I bring this up is when the scriptures say God opposes. It literally means he lines up against you. And so it is the picture of somebody that's far bigger than Nate lining up against somebody far smaller than Jude. But when we get into pride, this is the kind of ratio that happens. And the way that we're deceived is we think that in the end, we can outmaneuver God. Okay, let's give them a hand. Thank you, guys. I could have had Nate stand off stage, and he would have been taller than both of us. But I, I, I want that picture to just be just in your mind because it's so important. When you choose pride, when you choose to put yourself first, you literally are standing toe-to-toe with God. He will oppose you. Humility 
helps prevent that. The second thing humility helps prevent is missing God's blessing. I love this scripture in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. So notice that you're supposed to put your position under the mighty hand of God, not equal to and not over. So Peter is just making sure we understand just this further train of thought, the logic. We have to take it one step further. We are not equal to God. We're not over God. We should always position ourselves willingly under the mighty hand of God. And notice, because at the proper time, he may exalt you. One of the struggles that we have with pride is that we do not trust God's proper time. We want something and we don't have it. And because of that, we go ahead of God and we remove ourselves under his mighty hand and we begin to do life by ourselves. And so not only do you go toe-to-toe with the living God, the Almighty One, but you actually miss the exalting, that is the lifting up, the blessing that he will give you as you trust his timing, as you trust his provision, as you, you trust that he is looking out for you. And so I just want to just talk briefly about this, this idea of, of God's blessing. God actually has a training program for you and for me. That is, there's things that he's designing in your life to help you grow. And First Peter is actually chock full of that. That's what we've been talking about in this series. But one of the keys that God uses to train us is hard, are hard things, things that we have to endure. As Peter describes, suffering, obstacles, pain. God actually uses those things as the training program for your life and for my life. Oftentimes, in the area that we experience pain and hardship in, that's the area he wants to grow in us. And it always results, as we trust in him, it always results in the the growth of our faith. We become more mature. We become more like him. So that's part of this. I arrange myself under his mighty hand, knowing that he's protecting me from things, and the same mighty hand can lift me up. So this is very important. And the two things that he's always paying attention to is humility and faithfulness. In fact, in God's world and his economy, how he kind of has what's valued, humility and faithfulness have a very high value. If you want to know where God may be trying to grow you, most of the time it's going to come through humility and faithfulness. That is, as I'm trusting him under his mighty care, under his mighty hand, will I be faithful to the assignments he's given me? If you're young, will I be faithful under my parents' care, under their household, to do what I'm supposed to do with my responsibility? At my workplace, will I be faithful to the responsibilities that I've been given? Will I not demand my own way? In ministry, in work, in relationships, humility and faithfulness always go hand in hand. So humility helps prevent the opposition of God. It also helps prevent missing his blessing. As we choose humility, as we choose faithfulness, that blessing comes. And then finally, uh, humility prevents us from being overcome by anxiety. Now, this is really interesting. He's talking about humility. He's talking about leadership. He's talking about young people. But then notice in verse 7, under the mighty hand of God, he says, casting all your anxieties on him because he what? He cares for you. This is what's really interesting. You have this whole section of humility in each arena of life. And then he ties humility to anxiety. 
this is on purpose. This is very important. The reason this is important is also you have to know Peter himself. Peter was somebody that struggled mightily with his role and who he thought he should be in God's kingdom. He struggled with pride. But also, he struggled greatly with anxiety, and I think some of those can go hand in hand. Oftentimes, because we have such a lofty view of what we want and how it should go, and our own idea of our world, we get anxious when that doesn't happen. You get what I'm saying? Like, we may not talk about that, but those are the feelings oftentimes that we experience, and we're not sure where to put a finger on it. But there is a tie-in here. If you remember, Peter, uh, he was... With Jesus, this is in Matthew 14, Jesus was walking on water. If you know the scriptures here, he was walking on water. Peter saw Jesus walking on the water. He's like, this is amazing. This guy is walking on water. And then Peter, like, I love it. Peter's like, dude, I want, I want to try. And Jesus told him, well, c- come on out. And Peter is walking on water. But then if you know the story, Peter started to get anxious because the winds were picking up. The waves were getting a little crazy. And he, get, gave, he got into anxiety, and then what happened? He began to sink. And Jesus told him, well, you're, you have such little faith, Peter. You didn't think that I would take care of you? In John 18, as Jesus was getting arrested, Peter was anxious, and he took out his sword to fight. Like, I don't know what's going to happen to Christ, but I better fight. I'm anxious about this situation. But through that anxiety, he, he, he did something that the Lord didn't want. Uh, in Matthew 16, you remember the, uh, as Christ was going to be going to the cross, and, and Peter told him, like, this is not for you. He actually took a position of, of almost authority over Christ, like, this is not the way that this will end for you. And Jesus rebuked him. Luke 22, he was recognized by people as being a follower of Christ, and we all know that he denied him. Well, why would Peter deny him? Fear, anxiety. What's going to happen to me if I identify with Jesus Christ? And so Peter knows this struggle all too well, the pride, the anxiety, what that leads us to do. And so when we cast our anxieties on God, it reminds us of our place. We don't have to solve our problems. We don't have to come up with all the solutions. We can trust God will lead us through, and he will again and again. And there's one more section that Peter addresses, and this is really important. And this is in the spiritual realm. And humility also prevents us from being overcome by the enemy. This is verse 8. I'm going to go through this quickly, but it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So we have God's mighty hand. We have our position, casting our anxieties on him, choosing to trust him. And then Peter, again, rapid fire, just switches on us and says, well, also, you better watch out because we have an enemy. And what's the, the word picture the analogy of who the enemy is, a lion. If you want the lion to get attention of you, you choose pride. In the beginning of kind of the world, as, as the enemy himself was an angel, 
And he wanted status and he wanted power and he was cast out of heaven because of his pride. So the opposite of God's economy being humility, pride is the economy of the evil one. So when we get into pride, when we choose to exalt ourselves, when we choose to, again, take ourselves under and we remove ourselves under God's mighty hand and we try to do things on our own terms, we're not only now being opposed by God, but we have a spiritual enemy that we've just gotten his attention. We're trying to do it by ourselves. And so this being sober-minded and watchful is like he's always looking for an opportunity for us to kind of get out of bounds, to just get a little bit out of sync with the Lord who takes care of us. So I just want you to, to, to see this is so important. It shows up in each area. We're from leadership to being young to all of us. This is a choice that we have to make. And notice the value from humility in each one of these areas. In this last section, it's actually the very value as we partner with God that allows us to fight and to resist the evil one. Knowing that it's under the mighty hand of God that we have protection as we align ourselves. I want to show a, a video that kind of highlights what this means for us in real life. Because sometimes you, you think of, of humility, and it's like, okay, well, I just need to be humble. And you actually see that. That's, that's an artwork. It's like, be humble, be kind. And sometimes it, it's unclear of, of what that means. And so I, I want to highlight a, an actual leadership paradigm that we have uh, here at Ridgeview. It's called the PAR principle. And the PAR principle, as the video will explain, is really how humility and trusting God's training program for you works. And so this is actually like a six-minute video, so it's a little bit longer. But pay attention to this, and then after we watch this, we'll, we'll wrap up together. Let's put that. John wants to advance in life. He wants privileges. He wants a good job, and he wants to make good money. Fortunately for John, there is a way to make this kind of progress, and the key is understanding a principle that operates in all areas of life. Let's call it the PAR principle. PAR stands for three words, privilege, accountability, and responsibility. Privilege is something we all like. We enjoy the benefits of having leadership or being in marriage or having something we want. Accountability is much harder, though. Usually, if we have something, we are held accountable for it. If you have a driver's license, you're accountable for how you drive. If you're a parent, you're accountable for your children. Marriage actually brings you into accountability to your spouse and the state. And responsibility is having the duty to deal with something. If you have responsibility for a job, you have been given or accepted the duty to deal with it. If you take responsibility to play a role on a sports team, like a pitcher in baseball or a linebacker in football, then you have the duty to deal with that role. Privilege, accountability, and responsibility. These three things need to be relatively in line in life. If John wants more privilege, there is a way to get it. By increasing his level of responsibility and accountability equally, he advances by earning greater and greater responsibility. And with the greater responsibility comes greater privileges and also greater accountability. To fulfill his desires to make money, John gets a job in a grocery store as a stock person. When the store closes, he goes to restock the shelves. That's his responsibility. As the stock person, John makes a certain amount of money. It's low, but if he does his job well, he gets that money and he gets to keep his job. Those are the two privileges at John's current level of responsibility. 
John is also accountable to somebody, perhaps an assistant manager. If John makes a mistake, the one who checks up on him will notice and correct him. John could lose his privileges by not taking care of those responsibilities. If John wants to grow in the privileges, he will have to rise to greater responsibility. He can arrive to work on time every day, work fast and hard, be a joy to work with, help others, and look for ways to go above and beyond his job description. When his boss notices him handling his responsibilities well, his privilege could grow. He might become a checker. Checkers make more money and have physically easier jobs, but they also have greater accountability. Someone checks the cash drawer, and John could get in much bigger trouble if money is missing from it. A lot more trouble than if items are missing from the shelves. And so it goes. John might move on up to become a supervisor, or maybe a manager. He makes much more money as a manager, but his responsibility and accountability continue to rise with that privilege. This is the way things go spiritually, too. If you want greater privileges, you must rise to greater responsibility. But since privilege, accountability, and responsibility go together, you will also have to accept greater accountability. This is how God advances us in life. So what's the key to elevating? The essential word is faithful. A faithful person keeps his promises and fulfills his duties well. If you are faithful in the lower responsibility, in due time, God will give you greater responsibility. The Bible talks about this. Jesus says in Luke 16, 10 through 12, that whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. He goes on. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? If you are not being faithful in what belongs to someone else, whether it's their possessions, their job, or their ministry, who is going to let you have your own responsibilities? You have to be faithful. But since faithfulness takes a lot of time and it's a lot of work, many times people look for a faster, easier way to get that privilege. They rebel and take the privilege without the responsibility. The shortcut just seems easier. This happens with robbers and thieves. John might decide he doesn't want to work several years to earn $100,000. So he buys a gun, walks into the supermarket, and walks out with that money. Shortcut taken, he gained the privilege. He now plans to have a much more enjoyable life, but his long-term goals won't be realized. Why? When you break the par balance, you enter a process of judgment. Judgment comes from the Lord. Accountability will come. John's choice to rob the store starts judgment in motion. The day comes when he will be held accountable for taking the $100,000. And judgment brings loss. John used to walk around on the streets and do pretty much as he wished. But when accountability comes, he's arrested, tried, and sent to jail. He will then walk around a much smaller space and be under constant supervision. There is public shame and a loss of a future for the robber. He loses the privileges he once had. This is the way life works in all areas that you want to advance in your goals. If you take the responsibility and faithfully fulfill it, you will gain the greater privileges. If you're not married, sexual privileges come with getting married. If you're unemployed, get a job, work hard, and you can make more money, but you have to start. If you want to rise in spiritual leadership, serve well under the people who are valid spiritual leaders. This is the way it works all across life. The Bible says in Luke 12, verse 48, when someone has been given much, that's the privilege or responsibility, 
much will be required in return. That's the accountability that goes with the gifts. Organizations look to see if people are faithful before they are promoted upward. Children must show faithfulness to gain more responsibility and privilege in family life. And faithfulness is important to God as He chooses whom to elevate and sustain. The PAR principle, privilege, accountability, and responsibility, stay mostly in line throughout life. If you rebel against this, it will bring judgment. But if you want to rise in privilege and have blessing upon it, you must rise in responsibility to that level of privilege. Hopefully, oh, there we go. I just woke you up if you fell asleep for the past six minutes, but uh, ho hopefully that, that was a help for you. Uh, for me, the reason I wanted to show that is uh, humility is understanding that those three go together. And it's the actual picture of putting yourself under the mighty hand of God. Like I, I can have privilege, but with that, I have to remain humble to know that there's accountability and responsibility in every area of life. And so I wanted you to, to kind of see that context because I think that really helps translate um, what we're seeing in our world as people are trying to go around this and then also the, the fight in our own hearts and then how God blesses us as we, we stay with those three uh, in line. Um, I want to just wrap up uh, as we kind of wrap up this series, as we wrap, wrap up this morning. I'd encourage you to, to have some, uh, to take some next steps. And so as the band comes up, um, some of these we, we've already mentioned, uh, but just want to emphasize this again. Um, in a couple weeks, we're going to have our fall fun night. Like Cameron mentioned, this is an opportunity to invite family and friends uh, to a non-threatening event. As people look forward to doing things in the fall, we're going to have a great time together. One of the things we need to do as a church is continue to have fun. Uh, people actually are looking for an escape from the pressures of their life. And if they can come around a group of Christian people who actually have fun together, uh, God even uses that to help. And so uh, come to that, invite somebody to that. And then I wanted to invite you next week. Uh, we are going to be starting a brand new series, which I'm really excited about, uh, next Sunday called The Usual Suspects. And we're going to actually, here's a, a little image of that. We're going to actually do a, a seven-week study on fools. And you're like, well, that, that's not that motivating, Pastor. We went from joy in the journey to fools. Uh, but what you find in life is that all of us have foolish strategies, and God wants to help us overcome these. And so this is kind of in humility as we've launched this week. This will help us get ready to, how, how do we avoid those tendencies that we all struggle with? And we're going to cover uh, five different fools that you find in the Bible. Uh, in English, we have one word for fool. But in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, there's actually many different nuances to that word, which are different characteristics of people. And so we're going to highlight that. Next week, it's the launch of a series, so that also means what? Donuts, yes. And so if nothing else, you can come and eat donuts. And so I hope you'll, you'll join us. Uh, consider inviting a friend to that as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for just the tremendous blessing it is to read your word together, to, to study, to just unpack uh, your truth. We thank you for revealing your word to us without which we, we just wouldn't have the same understanding. And so thank you for granting us just these nuggets of wisdom to help us live life. God, we, we pray that you'll continue to allow us to be humble, 
just show us warning signs as we get into pride. Uh, God, we do trust your mighty hand, and we want to arrange ourselves under it. Uh, we thank you for the privileges you've given us, and God, we, we want to be accountable and responsible with those things. And so thank you, God, for just being a faithful God who helps us, who meets us right where we are. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.